It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, this is Sam Matterface and welcome to the Game Day Preview Podcast from Talk Sport, where we look ahead to as many FA Cup third round games as possible in the company of the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and Talk Sport football correspondent Alex Crook. The FA Cup, the original and the best. Cross set back in and Swindon Lee for a second time today. And it's been steered in by Rodri in stoppage time. Dennis Politic. Steps off the bench to score for Fort Vale. It's going to be turned in, it is! Brentford lead, and it's Ethan Pinnock. Brilliantly done. Fantastic goal by Romelu Lukaku. Jim Kellerman has roofed it in front of his fans, and Chesterfield are heading for round three of the Cup. Nine live commentaries are expected this weekend as we bring you full comprehensive coverage from the 150th year of the FA Cup. We've hired an FA Cup expert to provide the pick of the weekend's action, what to look out for and where to find that hidden gem. Also this week, Conte crushed, Wreck-It Ralph and a little bit on transfers and scheduling. The ultimate preview to all the weekend's action and unlike Tottenham, we will turn up. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Is game day. Hello to Darren Lewis and Alex Crook and welcome to a special FA Cup edition of the Game Day Preview Podcast as we gear up to a weekend of giant killing, tin foil FA Cups, last minute winners, the plumber scoring and becoming a hero and Premier League clubs changing in the bar. Hold on, that was last year's script. Um, as we gear up for a weekend of lateral flow tests, social distancing, postponements and jab talk. Um, now, listen, I don't know if this is a pod exclusive or if it's a secret still, but I want to let you two know about um, the FA apparently discouraging people, broadcasters, from using the phrase, the magic of the FA Cup. Apparently <laughs> too cliched and too old hat. So mainly because we've been urged not to use it, we will endeavour to bring you the magic of the FA Cup with as That's much magic, magic of the FA Cup as maybe Darren Brown, Penn and Teller and that fella in the box could manage all together. Uh, so here is the magic of the FA Cup podcast uh, from Talk Sport. Uh, before we uh, cover this uh, this wonderful competition that brings us so much magic. Um, could we just talk about rearrangements, postponements? Because I hear on the grapevine that the much-coveted international break in January, when we've all booked trips to Abu Dhabi and Butlins, depending on pay grade, Darren's going to the Middle East, by the way, um, is going to be no more, Darren. Uh, yeah, well, uh, not quite. Um, but I do think that 
<laughs> All eyes will be on Premier League clubs in particular to see what they do during these breaks when they have the time to get themselves together and maybe just take stock of what has been a breathless first half of the season, a disruptive first half of the season and a first half in which they've made various appeals to the authorities to be allowed to have the time to recover from COVID, lots of injuries. Let's see what they do now. Do they take the money and run, actually fly, or do they actually get themselves together, as I've been saying, and stay um, at the training grounds? There's no darts on, so I don't think they can go and watch a little bit of um, uh, Peter Wright. But uh, no, but all eyes will be on them. And yeah, uh, the idea of this international break was that 24 to the 31st, other people apart from the European clubs had World Cup qualifiers they have to catch up on. So if they do play Premier League games in that window, then teams are going to be weakened, aren't they? Yeah, and I think for that reason, Premier League clubs will probably push against that, um, to be honest. When I thought it was just a sort of unofficial winter break, it seemed a no-brainer to try and uh, rearrange some of the postponed games in that slot. I can't see that happening now. But I agree with Darren. Uh, it's all about perception at the moment and, and how you look uh, as football clubs and footballers to the outside world. That was why a lot of people were so animated and infuriated by the Leicester City trip to the darts. It'll be interesting when Brendan Rogers speaks before the weekend to get his take on Mainly that. Mainly you, really. I mean, well, Not just it. me, but if Premier League clubs do suddenly start using that break and flying off to exotic locations, I think it's a really bad look. And, and actually, again, we'll just dilute the sympathy if and when more Premier League games are postponed due to COVID. Have you booked your trip to Portugal, your annual uh, trip to Portugal in January? No, I haven't actually. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping resisted. it free at the moment, despite a lot of pressure from Mrs. Crook. We at the moment we're staying on these shores. You see, this he's is been googling. People... He's been he's been googling Nad El Sheba, which is one of the most. <laughs> yes, he's not going to Portugal. Race courses. <laughs> he's going to Abu Dhabi. Yes, of course he is. <laughs> uh, just give us one big transfer headline that we can expect to see over the weekend. Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, Liverpool are going to sign a new winger, aren't they? I think the Philippe Coutinho situation is, is a really interesting one. Up to half a dozen uh, Premier League clubs interested in him. I was told this morning we can count Arsenal and Tottenham in that number. You'd have to say maybe Aston Villa have the edge given his relationship with Steven Gerrard. I was also told there's a bit of a conflict at Everton. We've heard this before. Apparently uh, the owner, Farhad Mashiri, would be keen to sign Coutinho. Rafa Benitez, not so. So again, maybe a bit of a transfer dispute brewing at that particular club. Um, apparently Liverpool chasing uh, Porto's Luis Diaz, the Colombian star, hot prospect. Have you heard about that? I haven't. That's a new name on me, I have to say. Oh, I've got to yeah. say very quickly, Coutinho's become the emperor's new clothes. Um, <laughs> and it's quite funny, some of the clubs that you're mentioning in connection with him, because those clubs £142 must... million pound, Philippe Coutinho. That's the one who went to Barcelona, was surrounded by some of the best uh, talent in the world and still couldn't match that. Then went to Bayern Munich, where he was in a one-team league and couldn't hold down a regular first-team place in that team. And now he's looking for another club. He's 29 years of age. Some of the clubs that are in for him cannot defend to save their lives and should be prioritising defenders. I will be amazed if some of those clubs prioritise Coutinho instead of closing the back door. That's yeah, smack yeah. a bit of a James Rodriguez-type transfer, doesn't it? But particularly when you, you start talking about Everton. Yes, um, uh, and interesting that uh, it's Rafa Benitez who doesn't want another former Liverpool legend uh, to come and join him at Goodison Park. I don't think that would be very good PR if they signed Philip Coutinho, so probably best to abandon that one, I would have thought. Um, anyway, listen, we've been a bit scathing. Did Darren in particular a bit scathing there of a couple of... Angry uh, man this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Daily like Mirror's Darren. Darren 
the, the wrong side. Uh, get him a cup of coffee and we'll sprinkle a little bit of magic of the FA Cup around. Uh, we will welcome our FA Cup guru and author of the excellent FA Cup fact file, Phil Annitz. Hello, Phil. How are you? Hi, Sam. Very well indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Darren's very impressed with your with your tone, your your, your, your baritone voice. Your, you want you to do I a trailer me. for the programme. If I get a takeaway menu, will you read it to me, please, Philip? <laughs> I have had some strange requests, but uh, never a takeaway menu. Okay. <laughs> we won't get you to divulge those. Um, uh, Phil, <laughs> FA Cup is your passion. Why? Uh, FA Cup's my passion for three main reasons, I think. Firstly, it's the, the only competition that connects today's game with the origins of the game. So you can go all the way back to 1871. It's the only competition that connects the Premier League with the small towns, football clubs and the villages around the country. They can all play in the same competition. And as we saw last year, Marine took on Tottenham Hotspur, eight divisions apart. So it's the only competition that can deliver that kind of matchup. And also uh, it's because every game counts. There's no second chances in the FA Cup. If you if you have a bad day, you can end up losing uh, and slipping up uh, against a smaller team. And then you have to sit on the sidelines and watch all your other top flight rivals carry on in the competition and uh, you have to wait a whole season before you can have another go. So the jeopardy is another reason why I love it. Well, do you know, I think there's never been, what you've just said has never been more true than now because the focus, we're in a time of economic crisis all over the country and clubs really are the focal point of lots of towns around the country. And you mentioned Marine Spurs. If Marine were to play them now, they'd probably win. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrific time uh, to get stuck into some FA Cup action. Uh, Phil, the League Cup has benefited from a straight to penalties format change. Can the FA Cup benefit from this one-off tie situation they've got this season or does it ruin the magic? I think uh, replays for me are an integral part of the FA Cup. Um, one of the reasons why they exist is that the draw is random and you can get drawn away from home. And so the, the replay gives you a chance to negate that uh, bad fortune to get the game at home. Uh, and I think it is a, a, a fundamental part of what the FA Cup stands for. And I think it's a shame that we've lost them and, and for the reason we've lost them too. Um, I would say giving up FA Cup replays to free up fixture congestion is like giving up the tonic in your gin and tonic to curb your alcoholism. It isn't going to make any difference to congestion at all. <laughs> It's not usually very many, are there? I mean, that's one of the things that's, right. that's worth pointing out, that usually not many people are involved in FA Cup replays. Anyway, Crook, you were going to make a point? Well, I've been known to give up the tonic in my gin and tonic, but maybe that's uh, <laughs> you a never, You story. never had it. <laughs> uh, but I make it feel right, actually. I mean, take uh, Friday night, for example. Swindon against Manchester City is is one of these standout ties this weekend uh, for me. That club have been through a nightmare period under the ownership of Lee Power. They seem to have come out the other side now. But if this tie on Friday... Uh, was away from home as opposed to at the county ground. I think it would take away some of the magic. Yes, it'd be a great occasion for those Swindon supporters to make the long trip up to the Etihad. But I think under the lights of the county ground, which is quite an atmospheric old stadium, will be packed to the rafters. That's what the FA Cup is all about. So I think denying lower league teams the chance to go and maybe get a hard-fought draw away from home and take that team back to their own place. You remember Exeter did it against Manchester United a few years ago. I think that does dilute the competition. Yeah, and Liverpool as well. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And Plymouth as well. Earned a, a replay. Fantastic. Wolverhampton Wanderers knocked out Liverpool. Some romantic fixtures. Go on, Darren. Crook, I know you were just talking about gin and gin tonic. I heard that someone asked you what wine you should have with fish and you told them, why are you bothering with food? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's on fire today. I've never heard him say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, nine commentaries this weekend from the FA Cup. Um, and we'll go through all of them very shortly. But uh, Phil, before we get to Swindon versus Man City, Millwall versus Crystal Palace, Port Vale, Brentford, Chelsea, Chesterfield, Everton uh, against Hull City, Liverpool, Shrewsbury, Tottenham, Morecambe, Nottingham Forest, Arsenal, and Monday night's live and exclusive national radio commentary of Manchester United against Aston Villa. Shall we focus our attention on some of the games that you've picked out for us, starting off uh, with Yeovil against Bournemouth. Is this a bit of a Southwest derby? It's not really, is it? I mean, but we can try and make it out to be. <laughs> yeah, I think people are trying to make it out to be a derby, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's a derby, no. There's quite a lot of distance between them. But the, the reason why I think it's a key key game is because of Yeovil Town. They're, they're very synonymous as a non-league team with giant killing. And uh, they've actually made uh, three FA Cup records on their run this season. When they um, when they won their fourth qualifying round, they became the, the first non-league team to achieve 52 appearances in the proper rounds of the FA Cup. So quite quite a remarkable feat to do that so many times. And then in the in the first round, they played Yate Town. I don't know whether you remember uh, Yeovil versus Yate, but uh, it was the first ever FA Cup tie to involve two clubs, beginning with the letter Y. So in ah, 72,000 plus games, it's pretty uh, pretty impressive. And then they beat Stevenage in the last round to record their 21st Football League scout as a non-league team, which is also uh, a competition record. So they're and officially the biggest giant killers in the FA Cup history? I would say that, that's right, yeah. And and within those 21 victories, they, they beat Bournemouth twice. Uh, uh, so, you know, to, to have another chance and for Bournemouth to, to be on the wrong end of three giant killings by the same team uh, would be quite a, an embarrassing uh, situation for them, I would say. Leicester against Watford is another one you've picked out. The holders against exactly. a team that can't win for Toffee. Yeah, exactly. exactly yes. So, uh, Leicester City are the holders. It was fantastic. They won the competition last year. It, uh, it brought uh, a lot of joy to a lot of people to see uh, that they did. Uh, even Leicester fans I've spoken to say that that was a more memorable occasion than winning the league a few years earlier. So shows what it means to them. Um, there's, an, there's an Arsenal connection here, uh, funnily enough, with Leicester versus Watford. Um, the last holders to be knocked out in the third round was Arsenal uh, when they lost to Nottingham Forest a few years ago, who they play again this, this time around. And uh, the last time Watford knocked out the holders, it was Arsenal when they did that in 2016. So there's a little bit of a strange connection there for that time. Can we, can we somehow conspire to get Arsenal knocked out this weekend? Somehow? <laughs> well, Nottingham Every Forest, chance. <laughs> Nottingham Forest are the only team to knock Arsenal out of the third round in the last 25 years. So... You know, they could do it again. You never know. You never know. And finally, before we go on to our big preview with the boys, um, Newcastle-Cambridge. Yeah, it's a, it's a big game. This obviously for Newcastle, deemed uh, as the, uh, uh, the, 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 the richest club in the country, taking on Cambridge. What, what's really interesting for me about this is that it's going to be a sellout. So both Newcastle fans and Cambridge United fans are uh, going to pack the stands to the rafters, if you like. And uh, I think it's a fantastic um, advert for the FA Cup as a whole to see such passion for uh, what on paper looks like a mismatch, but should be a great game. Yeah, but I wonder if Eddie Howe's actually going to put a team out for this game, because traditionally <laughs> Eddie Howe and FA Cups and League Cups is, is a reserve team territory, I'm afraid, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, and I think it will be again. Uh, as I understand it, they're, they're desperate to get a stronger team possible on the pitch for their next Premier League game, a huge one uh, against Watford, Kieran Trippier will clearly make his debut 
in that match. <laughs> I saw a funny tweet, actually. He wasn't fit enough for Atletico training earlier this week, but he will be fit enough to make his debut for Newcastle against uh, Watford. And I think it will be a fringe Newcastle team and therefore a, a big opportunity, maybe, for the upset of the weekend. This is a competition that makes heroes. It's as simple as that. You can be immortalised in, in the club's history by one moment. Cross sent back in, and Swindon Lee for a second time today. Kane Kessler, his first senior goal. What a moment for him. Just take a look all of Europe. If you capture one game, how difficult it is for everyone. And it's been steered in by Rodri in stoppage time at the end of the game. No one else can match at the moment. This is what the FA Cup is all about. on Friday night, Swindon against Manchester City. Manchester City have made just two FA Cup appearances in the last 10 years. It's not their favourite trophy to win, uh, but they should get off to a winning start here. Ben Garner is the manager of Swindon, uh, and this is a club that had just six players when he took over in the summer, and the remit was to stay in the division. Now they're thinking about promotion. They've got a new owner. They play decent football. They won't sacrifice their principles, but Crook, it might be a good game, but if they're too open, City will eat them up. Yeah, and uh, I think if you look at uh, Swindon games this season, then goals have been in plentiful supply. They won their last home game by five goals to two. Harry McCurdy scoring four of those. But it's a remarkable story, Swindon. They are a club, actually, that my news agency uh, have been covering for a number of years now. And it's a bit of a sleeping giant, really. They should be playing at a higher level. They've certainly got the the, the fan base, the reach to at least be, be regularly playing in the championship. It hasn't happened that way. Uh, they've had a lot of problems behind the scene. But you're right, the new guy who's come in, uh, Clem Morfuni, I think is the correct pronunciation of his surname. He's someone who's really reached out to the community. He's quite a public face now of the club, whereas Lee Power, his predecessor, wasn't. And they've probably overachieved. Fifth in the table at the moment, looking good for a, a playoff place. Ben Garner, again, not a coach that many people will know a lot about, but he's really galvanised the club. And uh, I think it will just be a fantastic occasion. Yes, Manchester City will win, but I think Swindon more than capable of getting on the score sheet. Yeah, I think this is more about what City can do. And I, I'm quite fascinated to see some of the academy players at City because they, they remind me a lot of the Matrix, that, who, that character with the suit and the black tie, Mr. Anderson. Is it Mr. Mr. Smith? Yeah, where, where they, 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 they're all the same. They all have very high level of ability. They come out, it's like they produce a little production line there. And so I'll be quite fascinated to see some of the fringe players, but the kids, the kids that have come out and shown themselves to have a really high level of technical ability. I think they'll be in action against Swindon on Friday night. Worth pointing out in recent seasons, they've needed to come from behind to beat Swansea and Cheltenham. Phil, what stats have you got for us for Swindon against Manchester City? Well, this is the sixth time that the two clubs have been drawn together in the FA Cup with uh, City having a 3-2 to win ratio. So Swindon have beaten them in the past. Uh, interesting one was in 1929-30 when following a draw, Man City won the replay 10-1, ah. uh, which is Man City's biggest ever win under that name and Swindon's biggest defeat in the FA Cup. Um, interestingly, obviously, they can't have a replay this year, so they can't 
repeat that feat this season. No, but they might just win 10-1. And uh, let me tell you now, if they start racking up the goals, that statistic will be outed on ITV on Friday night. Don't worry about that, Phil. Um, uh, right, Saturday, 12.30, Millwall against Crystal Palace, Talk Sport. Uh, I'll be at this one for Talk Sport. Millwall 11th in the Championship against a Palace team that have been probably much better than the five defeats in eight that they've suffered recently. But it'll be a hostile, intoxicating den crowd on Saturday lunchtime, Crook. Certainly will. It's going to be a rip-roaring atmosphere, as you say. Very hostile for those Crystal Palace players. I think this might come down to how seriously Patrick Vieira uh, takes the FA Cup. His last act as an Arsenal player was to score the winning penalty in the shootout against Manchester United, I think in about 2005, when United absolutely dominated that game, by the way. Should have won 3 or 4 nil. I was with you lost, that day. I was with you penalties. that day. They were, they were brilliant, Manchester United, and Arsenal were rubbish, and they still won it. Yeah. You were, you, I think you cried. <laughs> Quite possibly, as did my boy, by the way, at full time when I took him to Old Trafford for the first time on Monday. That's a different story. If Patrick Vieira respects the competition, puts out a strong Palace side, then you'd expect the Premier League team to win. If he rests one or two players, and of course there'd be no Wilfred Zaha, among others, I think Millwall with home advantage have got a great chance. Darren? I I hope that we're talking about the football after this, uh, because I know, as you've been saying, Crook, that... Millwall as a club, I, I think it's important to point out the narrative. Millwall as a, as a club have done a lot of hard work to try and, and deal with, reason with, um, apologise for initially, but really now confront head on the element within the club that don't like people coming to the club and taking the knee and doing that sort of thing. We know that the Palace players, with the exception of Zaho, prefers to stand to make his point, but the Palace players do like to take a knee before a match. And I'm hoping that we are not talking about that after the match, but that we are talking about what looks like a good game. Both teams have won just two of their last five fixtures. So it really kind of depends, as you've been saying, Crook, on who turns up with the most intention to win. I was at the uh, game not too long ago when they played Everton in the FA Cup on what was a crazy, crazy afternoon down at the Den. And uh, they knocked Everton out that day and it was the atmosphere was spine-tingling. It was hostile, it was horrible. It was a, it was a nasty game. Lee Gregory, I think, scored the, the, the winning goal in that match. It was, it, was a, it was a brilliant, brilliant occasion for FA Cup football. This should be as well. Um, Phil, statistically... Who's the favourites here, do you think? Uh, well, uh, Millwall have a much better recent record in the FA Cup than Crystal Palace, having uh, gone beyond the third round in all of the last five seasons, while Palace fell at this hurdle in the last two seasons themselves. Um, and head-to-heads in the competition, Millwall are ahead in that as well, winning uh, four out of the six previous times they've been drawn together. So, you know, it, it, statistically, it points to a Millwall victory that home exact division apart both 11th in, the, in each of the respective leagues so um, could be a good year for Millwall they are competing in the competition for the 125th time so that could be a nice little um, opportunity for them to celebrate that milestone Okay um, and that game is 12.30 it's live on Talk Sport Millwall under Gary Rowett doing a pretty good job I think uh, at the Den at 3 o'clock on Talk Sport 2 it's Port Vale versus Brentford Brentford have got no European distractions are free from relegation worry and have a good cup pedigree in the League Cup reaching the semi-finals and quarter-finals recently could they be the dark horse to go deep crook? I hope so and the reason I say that is because as you mentioned there they've got enough of a cushion between them and the bottom three which clearly uh, would have been their objective at the start of the season 
Premier League survival. But they can really attack th- this competition. And we were speaking earlier this week, and you're of the belief that a lot of the top teams this weekend and beyond will name a lot of under-23 players in their starting 11s, a lot of uh, fringe players. So for a team like Brentford, if they put out their first 11, they get a bit of luck with a draw, there is an opportunity to go deep into the competition. I'll go back to the point that Phil made about Wigan Athletic and a club close to our hearts, Sam Portsmouth as well, FA Cup winners under Harry Redknapp in 2008, then it all absolutely collapsed financially. But there aren't any Pompey fans who would swap that 2008 FA Cup win for being a stable Premier League club right now. They absolutely love the moment. And I'm sure Brentford supporters who've had uh, more highs than lows in recent seasons will feel exactly the same. So I hope that Thomas Frank does embrace the competition and has a real good go at it. It's a a long journey though, isn't it, up to Port Vale? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And and at home, they're not that shabby either. Um, Away from home, they've got a lot of character too. They beat Burton in the last round. And they are a side in decent form, even though they lost their last game away uh, to Newport. Brentford have run into a bit of form after losing against City and Chelsea and Brighton. And so I think Port Vale could be catching them at the wrong time. Their confidence is back after they beat Villa in their last game. I think Brentford come out on top. And I agree with Crook. I think they could go on a a run in this competition. No team will want to face them, particularly at their home stadium. It's just fascinating to see who they put out in terms of starting eleven because they were missing something like nine players, I think, for their last game against Aston Villa. They didn't play particularly well in that match. Aston Villa dominated the match. Basically, they scored their two goals by boring the opposition to sleep and then taking advantage very quickly off the back of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Stephen Gerrard, furious afterwards, thought he sh- they should have killed the game. Aston Villa in the first half probably should have done from what I saw. Um, but... If, you, if you've got a situation and they have where they haven't got too many players available, this game comes up and they think, well, we've just got to try and get through it because ultimately still their main ambition is to stay in the Premier League. They should do that, but they can't really afford to take too many chances. And they've just had a game actually rearranged in the last few minutes uh, against Manchester United, which will take place on the 18th of January on a uh, on a Wednesday night. So things moving around all the time uh, for, for for Brentford and they'll have to think about that before they select their team. Um, there must be a brilliant Port Vale statistic, Phil. Well, uh, the, 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 the real statistic is that Port Vale have done better in the FA Cup than Brentford have. So Port Vale have made it as far as the semi-finals in the past, whereas Brentford have never gone beyond the last eight. So with, a, with legacy on their side, Port Vale have a better record than Brentford. Um, they've never met in a competition before, so this will be their first meeting. Um, Port Vale haven't got a good recent record. They haven't gone beyond the third round for eight years, whereas Bedford have managed to make the fourth round every time for the last three seasons. But it is going to be all about what team do Bedford put out? How interested are they in having a cut run? Port Vale will go for it, whatever they're up against, and will have a good chance. Let's hope it's a brilliant game for listeners on Talk Sports too. And by the end of it, we're all singing, let me entertain you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Not like that, hopefully, with maybe a little bit of tune, I would have thought would probably be better. Uh, are you doing the game, Crook? Are you doing the game? No, I've got a weekend off. Unfortunately, as we've mentioned, the luck of the draw. All of my teams drawn away from home. Not too much London interest. You gobbled up uh, Crystal Palace against Millwall. So I will be taking in the magic of the FA Cup largely from my sofa with a pint of beer in my hand. I've got to say there's a slight irony in you singing the least entertaining version of Let Me Entertain You (laughs) I've ever heard. We should mention as, as well, because it, you know it's a bit of a fringe reference, that is a tribute to Port Vale fan Robbie Williams, for those of you who didn't yes, get the gag. 
I think most people did get that. I mean, I hope so. the singing I hope was so. incredibly poor. Um, I don't think stars in your eyes are going to call up saying, Crook, would you come and do <laughs> Robin Williams for us? I don't think that's going to happen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Chelsea have won it back down the left-hand side. Marcus Alonso to the byline, into the near post, and touched so beautifully by Mason Mount. Lukaku again makes the burst into the area. Hudson-Odoi delivers the crossing. Lukaku's header, brilliantly done. Fantastic goal by Romelu Lukaku. Chesterfield looking to finish things off. Here is Shamanga. The top scorer is on his way through, and he may have finished it. Jim Kellerman has roofed it in front of his fans, and Chesterfield are heading for round three of the cup. Uh, Chelsea against Chesterfield is 5.30, it's on Talk Sport. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has, it's got to be all about trophies, hasn't he? I mean, they were in terrific form in the first half on Wednesday night against Tottenham. Brilliant. And similarly, very good against Liverpool as well. I said to Adrian Durham just before kickoff in the game at Stamford Bridge, I thought Chelsea would come out and win well. And they probably should have won by more than the two goals that they beat Tottenham by. They will change the team. Thiago and Conte have got COVID, so they can't start. But one of the top teams in the country against a top non-league side is a really tasty tie crook. It is. It's just a shame it isn't the other way around. I think the magic is diluted somewhat by the fact that it's at Stamford Bridge, but it's a good opportunity for some of Chelsea's fringe players, the likes of Timo Werner, who scored some goals in this competition last season to build up confidence. Maybe even Romelu Lukaku, who wasn't brilliant firing on all cylinders in that game against Tottenham, despite how impressive Chelsea were. I should draw your attention to a nostalgic piece that we're making for game day this weekend, part of the build-up to the 12.30 kickoff. We've revisited Chesterfield against Middlesbrough, that famous FA Cup 
semi-final from the mid-1990s. We've spoken to a lot of the main protagonists, the likes of John Howard, who's uh, shot off the underside of the crossbar across the line, the goal not given. It may well have been a Chelsea-Chesterfield uh, final back then if it had been given. David Ellery, I'm told by John Howard, subsequently has admitted that he made a mistake by not allowing that goal. So that's a really nice look at, uh, for me, one of my favourite FA Cup semi-finals, probably of all time, actually. It was a terrific game. Sean uh, Dyche, you know, who won't be in the Burnley t- uh, Burnley dugout this weekend, was in the Chesterfield team that day, Darren. He was. So too, Kevin Davis. <laughs> you know, what's quite fascinating about this match, uh, three things. Chesterfield are top of the National League, two points clear with a game in hand. They've won 10 of their last 14 matches and they've drawn the other four. So they go to Stamford Bridge, okay, they're the lesser side quite obviously, but they go there in terrific form, terrific heart. And if you look at the Chelsea team, as Pilicueta limped off injured on Wednesday night, yeah, is it Wednesday night, is it? Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. Um, Kai has got a broken finger. Yeah, we've got Christensen, who's not available. You've got James, who's not available. You know, okay, they're going to be able to bring in Rudiger. They're going to bring in Thiago. Although I don't think they'd want to play Rudiger. I'd be surprised if he were to start this match. Thiago's got COVID, so he won't be playing. Well, absolutely. I must say, I did like the look of Harvey Vale, who came on for Azpilicueta in late in the second half. He had a really good touch. His positioning was really good. But the fact is that when you look at this match, and when you look at the quality that Chelsea are able to bring, and even with their kids, you can see why so many people didn't have that much sympathy for them when the wheels started to come off. They are a magnificent club. They've done fantastic work in their academy. They've spent a huge amount of money. And for all the players that they're losing, they can bring in quality. And that's why the standard by which they are judged is so high and so harsh. Well, um, in terms of statistics, has had the... The team at the top of uh, the non-league ever knocked out a team? So uh, the European champions before. There you go. There's there's a there's a question for you. There's a start I haven't prepared before, hence I can answer that one. But <laughs> I doubt um, it's happened. There has been uh, teams at the top of the national league or whatever it was called in the past who have progressed against top flight clubs in the past. But um, Alex took most of my stats away when he talked about the fact that this is the delayed 1997 FA Cup final. Um, the two clubs have met in the competition before. Uh, Chelsea have a 2 0 uh, head to head victory, but they did draw last time they met in 1950. Um, Chelsea have a particular FA Cup record to defend. They've won through their last 23 third round ties, which is a competition record. So they'll be keen, I would expect, to try to keep that run going. And obviously, this has been a good competition for them in the 21st century, where the majority of their FA Cup triumphs have come. Yes, uh, because uh, growing up as a child, I can tell you that there was not much FA Cup joy for Chelsea. In fact, none until 1994 when they got to the final and were humiliated by Manchester United in the second half. Could have been different if Gavin Peacock's shot hadn't have hit the crossbar. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on to Hull versus Everton, 5.30, TalkSport 2. The pressure very much on Rafa Benitez for what was an insipid display against Brighton. Defending was absolutely dreadful, especially in the first half. They face a whole city side who have had a little dip, but are difficult to beat and a more recent FA Cup finalist than Everton. This is probably the last game that Rafa Benitez would want right now with the pressure very much on him, as you say, two wins in 14 
uh, needed penalties to squeeze past Queen's Park Rangers uh, of the Championship and the League Cup earlier this season. He's got two uh, new signings, isn't he, in the form of Nathan Patterson and Mikhailenko, two fullbacks. So clearly the board is still behind him. I think they've made inquiries uh, about signing Sean Longstaff from Newcastle, who's been a player on his radar for some time. I think he has to go strong in this game because, listen, despite their struggles, they aren't going to get relegated. So again, the FA Cup is probably all they've got left to play for now this season. And I think from a confidence point of view, they need to win this game and they need to win it well. Aaron? Yeah, Hala aside, that could be quite dangerous if they're underestimated. They'll win in their last four. Um, but the problem is that there's no room for complacency for an Everton side that have lost nine of their last 12 games and only won one. They can't defend at the moment. The two players they've brought in at fullback, uh, Nathan Patterson and Mikhailichenko, um, they need to hit the ground running. I don't know if they play this weekend. It might be too soon for them. Um, but I just think Everton are the prime example of, I hope Newcastle are watching them, how not to do it right and how not to spend money wisely when you come into it. I think they've got an awful lot of work to do. And if Hull are at it, I think Hull could beat them. Yeah, Mikhailenko, um, particularly impressive, I think, actually. I've seen him for Ukraine for a, a little while and uh, I've commentated him this season playing for Dinamo Kiev. He's a very good progressive fullback. He gets up and down the pitch. He's very fast. He's combative, incredibly fit guy. And I think he's a very good sound investment for the £17 million that they've paid for him. And you don't really get much for £17 million anymore. I think he's quite a, a good uh, a good acquisition. Nathan Patterson, I haven't seen much of, but people in Scotland tell me he's a very good right fullback. He's still very young himself, actually, and it's one for the future. And again, you know, this is Everton shopping in a different market, isn't it? They're not buying established stars. They're buying younger players they think they can develop over time. Yeah, it's interesting because he's not actually played many games for, for Rangers, uh, Patterson, but that's more because he plays in the same position as their captain, James Tavernier, so it's been hard to get a place in the team. When I've seen him for Scotland and I was uh, commentating them at the Euros and in their quest to qualify for the World Cup, I think he's a real modern fullback, loves to get up and down, he can defend as well, so I think that's quite an astute bit of business for Everton. I mean, I just think it's nice to see Everton finally thinking outside the box rather than going for old, established names that have not done well or done okay, they've had limited success elsewhere. Um, because I think the, a lot of the work they do this month has to be getting rid of some of those guys who are soaking up their wage bill. Yes, so we will see. In terms of statistics, so what have you got for us, Phil? Well, on paper, it does look like the uh, most likely banana skin for all of the top flight clubs. Uh, the only thing in Everton's favour is that Hull aren't on a good form at the moment, so that, that might work in their advantage. But past form in the competition, they've both done pretty well getting through the third round in the last six years, um, probably about four or five times each. And uh, Hull City do have a better head-to-head record though against Everton in the competition, having won two of the three times that they've been drawn together in the past. Uh, Everton won the last time they met back in 64 via replay. 1964. Remember that one, Darren? What was it like? <laughs> every week, every week. You come off the gallops and straight away you're in combative <laughs> No one can see me. No one can see me. So they don't know that I'm dressed as a jockey today. Uh, <laughs> right. You're too short to be a jockey. <laughs> okay, let's move on to uh, stuff we've got going on Super Sunday and Magic Monday. Long ball play for. Oh, it's Cummings. Edge of the area. 2 2. Shrewsbury Town 2 
Liverpool 2. And they have a replay at Anfield. Na 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 na, every day it's like my eyebrows stuck on replay, replay. Lots of space for Henderson to cross from the right. Jota's header, 1-1. One, one. Oh, brilliant one effort. Alexander-Arnold from the edge of the box. Shrewsbury still searching for this second goal. They may find it here. It's Ryan Bowman turning neatly and finding the finish. Replays really, they cause everybody problems. It's maybe on the financial side and for that we have to find a solution. Nobody wants to take the money away from the, from the smaller clubs. Na 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 na, every day it's like my eyebrows stuck on replay, replay. Liverpool versus Shrewsbury is slated for two o'clock on Super Sunday. But the EFL Cup semi-final in midweek was canned and there was an indication that the COVID outbreak at Liverpool was growing exponentially. Um, the, the issue here is, is that if this game gets cancelled, then the second leg of the um, Carabao Cup, which has already been moved from being the first leg of the Carabao Cup, gets bumped again, doesn't it? Which is a problem because the FA Cup takes supremacy over the uh, the League Cup. It's a big problem. And it's a big problem because Liverpool took the step of closing their training ground. And I think as soon as that happened, we knew that that semi-final would be called off. And I guess it's a bit of a smack in the face as well to uh, the EFL if Liverpool were willing to put out a team made up of under 23 players in this competition, but not in the EFL Cup. So as we stand here on Thursday morning, I think we have to deduct that this game is in doubt. And as you say, that could cause real headaches for the fixture schedulers. Yeah, and the the issue being, the, the obviously people start coming up with scenarios as to why if Liverpool couldn't field a team on Thursday night, a bit like Leighton Orient, they weren't kicked out of the competition. Well, the answer to that is that the competition rules state quite clearly that you will they will do their best to rearrange the game, but all games have to be rearranged before the start of the next round. Now, because of the fixture congestions and the concentrated nature of the fixture list in that year where Leighton Orient were kicked out, the fourth round was the following Tuesday after the Tuesday game got postponed and Tottenham were playing twice between those two dates. It was impossible for them to reschedule uh, that match. So that's why Leighton Orient has to take the hit and be jettisoned. There is time between now and the final, because that's the next round of the competition, for these games to be rearranged, which is why the EFL are so keen to do so. But the longer it sort of goes on, the more momentum is sort of lost. I don't know if you remember, Darren, but a few years ago, they, they had this sort of practice of the first week in January, they'd do the first leg of the semi-final. Then three weeks later, they'd have the second yeah. leg of the semi-final. And it was like two different clubs by the time you sort of got yeah. to the other end because of changes in terms of personnel and form and injuries and all sorts. Yeah, it was a bit of a mess back then. Um, it's threatening to be a bit of a mess but uh, right now, but nowhere near as bad as it was at the time. And to be honest with you, I can see why they've decided to date the decisions that they have, even though people have been upset about it. Lots of false equivalents around. So it's good that you've cleared that up in terms of explaining the reasoning behind the decisions that have been taken. There's the form is fascinating. Darren Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, we just walked into an episode of the Anfield Rap podcast. You've <laughs> um, thrown me there. Um, <clears throat> the form is interesting because Liverpool have only drawn three of their last four, uh, including that uh, League Cup tie against um, Leicester, where they obviously progressed. Um, and Shrewsbury have won three of their last four. Now, the interesting thing about the form... forced equivalence, though, but, I mean, you know, Shrewsbury's form book and Liverpool's well, no, form book no, no, no. slightly well, I was different. about to say that. I was about to say. I was about to say 
when you look at it on the face of it, it should be meaningless. But Liverpool do not field their top players in the FA Cup. It's they don't care. Jurgen Klopp doesn't care about domestic cups. Salah has started, I think, one FA Cup match, is it? Or is, it, is that the League Cup in the last five years? Is it the League Cup or the FA Cup? One, one of the two. They, Klopp literally does not care about the FA Cup. So if you're looking at this on paper, you might think Liverpool are going to win it easily, but I expect to see kids, fringe players, and an opportunity for Shrewsby to claim a huge scalp at the weekend. Okay, now, Phil, you must have some tantalising statistics. Phil Annitz is our FA Cup guru. He writes the FA Cup fact file. It's a blog which is available uh, on the internet, but also the 150 years of the FA Cup, uh, FA Cup fact file book that he has... I mean, put on January Sow, if I'm correct, Phil. <laughs> yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. FA Cup 150, the book uh, celebrates the 150th anniversary of the competition with facts and stats throughout the whole 150 years. Is available uh, free postage from our website. Um, it's uh, facupfatfile.co.uk forward slash shop. So you, you can get your book uh, without having to pay for the postage all the you way could, through You could change that web address to, to uh, facupfatfile.com forward slash shock. That would have been... Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could, could, I could have a sister site to, to do yeah, that. Could. I don't know. Uh, we'll see a shock here with um, Shrewsbury at Liverpool. It's, uh, it's uh, questionable depending on the team. But obviously they, they played each other a couple of years ago, didn't they? And Liverpool played their reserves or under 23s and it took them two games to get past Shrewsbury and only then with uh, courtesy of an own goal so you know could Shrewsbury avenge that uh, against a similar setup they've done well in the cup in recent times Um, one of the better ones from the lower levels to get past the third round quite a few times in the last few years so um, there's every chance they might cause an upset Liverpool may not have done well in total in the FA Cup in recent times, but they always get through the third round. So, you know, this this could be a challenge for them. Yeah, round four is usually their limit, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you're very much a, a Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury. What are you? Shrewsbury? <laughs> what did I say? Darren, are you Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury? What are you? Uh, Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Crookie? I think um, I think I'm Shrewsbury. <laughs> I think I'm Shrewsbury. He really thought about that. <laughs> I can't even remember what I said. First no, me neither. That's why I was trying to do that. <laughs> Two o'clock, Tottenham against Morecambe. Morecambe had COVID issues before this game. <laughs> Crookie, are you more Cam or more Cum? <laughs> I think I'm Morecambe. Uh, what, what, what was the question? Um, look, look, listen, they had problems, didn't they, COVID-wise, didn't they? Tottenham um, obviously expecting to entertain them, but I'm not sure this game's going to go ahead either. No, again, uh, could be could be some issues here, and it'll be interesting to see how many of the FA Cup fixtures do fall foul uh, of the COVID outbreak and, and the postponements. But again, if, if Tottenham do take to the field, I think Antonio Conte will, will feel inclined to, to name a strong side. I, I think they will want to bounce back. They were dreadful against Chelsea. I was surprised. I didn't think it would be as... Easy for Chelsea, as you did, Sam. I thought with the absences that Chelsea had, this was actually a good opportunity uh, for Tottenham. I mean, the goals they conceded were absolutely comical. They gave Harry Kane no service at all. And I think Antonio Conte, speaking to you afterwards, really uh, just came out and and admitted just how dire the situation is there and said he hasn't got a, a magic wand to wave in January. Um, so I don't expect them to be very active. Uh, Tottenham fans are just desperate for some silverware, aren't they? And, and it's been a long time since they won the FA Cup. So I think they would like to see him name a strong team. 
1991, the last time they won the FA Cup. Antonio Conte saying to me after the game against Chelsea, Darren, we are a club in the middle. There was a huge gap between Chelsea and Tottenham in the league game. It was 3-0 and that gap still exists. And, you know, January is a very difficult time. He said, I, I mean, I must admit, I couldn't believe how downbeat he was. I know he's not been sort of like... Uh, Walked, he hasn't walked in and said, I'm going to deliver this, I'm going to deliver that. But he, he was very downbeat when I spoke to him on the touchline after the game. And that was, wasn't just because he was getting threatened to be run over by a couple of lawnmowers. Well, it was a little bit like when you meet your new girlfriend and you take her to a party where you know your old girlfriend's going to be. And then you realise that your old girlfriend is looking amazing. And you knew, <laughs> actually, I better stop with that. Has this ever happened to you? Is this a personal <laughs> reference? Let me start again. Let me start again. Let me start. No, again. no, 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 no. I'm going to stick with the analogy, but okay. I just present it in a different way. Right? All right. Okay. It's a little bit like when you meet you when you have your new partner and you go to an event hosted by your former partner okay. um, and you realize that your former partner's moved on quite considerably since your breakup. And you're a little bit, you know, they've done okay without me. They've moved on quite considerably. Yeah. And you're looking and, at your new partner and you're thinking, oh, well, I wasn't particularly uh, well. Is that what you're saying? No, but I'm just saying Is that. Is this a personal far, reference? It might be, you know. <laughs> if you were to ask Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Lewis, I'm, I'm very much punching above my weight, let's put it that way. Um, but um, I think, in all seriousness, I look at Spurs. And they are at ground zero. They've won one trophy in two decades. They keep buying cheap, believing that they're going to discover the next best thing. They make mistake after mistake in a transfer window. You look at Emerson Royale, who was at fault for the first goal, and you think to yourself they had the choice between him and Tommy Asu, who instead has gone to Arsenal and looks superb. And you think to yourself, how can one club keep making so many mistakes? Now they have a golden opportunity to do something. And like Everton, a lot of their work has to involve moving Deadwood out and bringing in quality. If they don't start to do that this month, they will not win the FA Cup. They will not finish in the top four. It's very simple. And everything that Conte is saying is 100% true. It will take more than one window, maybe even two, but they have got to start investing in quality. Otherwise, they are wasting their time and treading water every season. Bill, uh, Tottenham Morecambe, what stats have you got? Well, Tottenham Morecambe is a bit of a mismatch on paper. You would expect Tottenham to win even despite uh, their current form. Um, before the start of the season, Tottenham were the competition's top goal scorers with 900 goals oh, wow. over the 150 years. Um, that's been usurped by Ketching Town this season, who have got to 903. But I guess Tottenham might see uh, home against Morecambe a chance to reclaim that crown. Um, they've always gone beyond the third round in the last seven years. But Morecambe, are on the up and probably shouldn't be taken too lightly. I think uh, they've never been relegated, Morecambe. They're, in their, they're playing at the highest level they've ever played at this season, at uh, the third tier. They got to the third round last year, which was the best ever run in the FA Cup. So they will be looking to continue their upward trajectory and uh, we'll see Tottenham as a chance to, uh, to create a bit of a shock. Put that in context for us. But they've never been relegated. So they've only ever jumped up a division. They've never dropped down one. That's right, exactly right. Wow. And, uh, uh, they've been going for uh, 100 odd years, so it's uh, quite significant. Um, 
but yeah, they've never they've never gone down. They've, they might have been affected by by rejigging structures, etc., but they've never themselves been relegated. Interesting. And uh, Tottenham can reclaim that honour of being the FA Cup's top scorers this weekend, and they will probably hope that they do so. Five uh, ten on Sunday is Nottingham Forest against Arsenal. Now Arsenal went out here in two thousand and eighteen. I think it was Wenger's last cup tie. What chance of a repeat, Darren? Do you think? Um, very high. Uh, the work rate level is higher than it has been for quite some time. The commitment to, they've got quality now. They've got players who aren't getting a regular first team game, who have an opportunity to prove that they should be playing. They were very, very unlucky not to beat Manchester City last week and to become the first team in 12, what is it, 12, 13 games to beat Manchester City. Um so I think I expect them to be fairly straightforward. I'd be very disappointed if they were to revert to type and surrender at Forest and become the old Arsenal because they look very much as though they're taking a few steps blinking into a new era and that all that promise they've been showing under Mikel Arteta is now starting to come to fruition. Yeah, um, Nottingham Forest um, started off pretty well against uh, under Steve Cooper, didn't they? They had their game postponed on Monday because of a COVID outbreak. They started brilliantly uh, under their new managers, hit the buffers over Christmas, lost to Borough, lost to Huddersfield without scoring. Maybe some of the more difficult games in the Championship have been a little bit harsher for them. They got beat 4-0, I think, by Fulham as well. Um, But he's a good manager and he's obviously made a real impact on that Nottingham Forest team. Arsenal are serial FA Cup winners and they should be contenders for this trophy, Darren, shouldn't they? Without the European pressures, they've already reached the semi-final of the League Cup. They've got a little bit more room to manoeuvre in the fixture list as well, haven't they? So they could take the extra games that the FA Cup piles upon you. They could do. And you know what's interesting? They're looking to sign this boy Vlajevic. I think he's 21, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the striker from Fiorentina. That's the one. Um, he's got a fantastic record so far this season, goals-wise. Uh, he's a young boy with his best years ahead of him. And obviously it would explain why Arteta's been so keen to bin off Aubameyang and that Lacazette hasn't been handed a new deal as yet. Arteta's obviously looking at a new strike force of uh, Vlajevic and Martinelli, which in on paper and obviously of what we've seen of Martinelli's improvement so far this season looks very exciting indeed. So yeah, this is a real chance for some of the players who are worried that they might not stay on board to stake their claim. And also by the end of this month, that new front line could be the one that shoots Arsenal back to the top in a, in a competition. They've got an excellent record in, as you've been saying. Interesting. Okay. Uh, any uh, super stats from uh, Super Phil, the FA Cup guru? Well, Nottingham Forest, the Arsenal is a great tie. Um, I mentioned earlier that Forest are the only team to have knocked Arsenal out of the FA Cup in the third round in the last 25 years, um, doing so back in 2017. Um, but Arsenal, as we say, are serial FA Cup winners and they always do very well. Um and both times they've beaten Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup back in 79 and in 93, they went on to lift the title. So, but they could probably say that against most teams, the way they've won it in recent times. That's interesting though, isn't it? You know, that sets it up quite nicely and because they're an old giant Nottingham Forest, aren't they? I mean, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, then Nottingham Forest, were, um, before they got relegated under Cluppy, I think in 92, 93, they were a fantastic uh, team, weren't they? I mean, they were brilliant to watch and gr- played great football. They were serial trophy winners, albeit never the FA Cup. That was one of these sort of things, wasn't it? He never won the FA Cup. Yeah, so uh, I have to go back to 19, 
59, I think it was, when Nottingham Forest last lifted the trophy. Mm. Uh, 1991, when they were last in the final. So, yeah, it's not it's not been good competition for them in uh, recent times, but always a threat, I think, uh, especially at home. And as, as they proved last time when they faced Arsenal. Yeah, 1991, Stuart Pearce scored uh, a free kick, a fabulous free kick in that game. Yeah. And, uh, just after Gary Charles had been uh, taken apart by Paul Gascoigne who injured himself in the process um, at, uh, 14 to 1 to score the first goal in the final so I was very did you that going <laughs> yeah Piercy at 14 to 1 14 to 1 it was a fabulous 10 pound bet paid for all the drinks that night Yes, um, it's a great return but also the, the celebration afterwards from Piercy where he just stands there two hands in the air no emotion on his face, just looks like miserable, um, never giving anything away, Pearson. Um, right, OK, uh, let's move on to Monday night, Manchester United against Aston Villa. It's live and exclusive to National Radio on Talk Sport. It's a 7.55 kickoff. Phil, do you want to start off with the stats? Because before uh, we uh, get into Crook, I mean, that might take a long time and you might need to go to bed by the time that he's <laughs> finished ranting about Ralph Rangier. So do you want to, do you want to tell us some, some big FA Cup stats? Yeah, so Manchester United versus Aston Villa is the most common tie of the round. Um, they've met each other 12 times in the past, with um, Manchester United winning 10 of the last 12. Uh, one of the most one-sided FA Cup matchups in the competition's history. And if Manchester United uh, win again to make it 11-2, that will be the second biggest mismatch in the competition's history. So, um, all points, all those points are May United win. They've never drawn either, so getting rid of replays. Uh, means also we won't we probably won't see penalties in this game either, um, but it's both teams have great FA Cup pedigree. Although you have to go back a long way uh, for Aston Villa's last victory um, against Manchester United back in 1958. Yes, but Manchester United were dreadful against Wolves. Uh, the worst performance of the season. They have one of the best number tens in the country, but are playing without one. The biggest worry for me was the sort of profession at the start of. Uh, his reign of control and the need to to keep hold of the ball and dictate the pattern of the play. But Ralph Ranić, who wanted his team to play 4-2-2-2, quickly abandoned it. And, and that sort of abandonment of principles so quickly shows how difficult it is to manage this club at the moment, I think. Yeah, it's interesting hearing uh, Phil talk about United's record against Aston Villa. I remember uh, attending, I think it was his debut, Henrik Larsson scored for United against Villa. Those were the days, weren't they, when... Life following Manchester United was just oh so simple. You turned up at Old Trafford expecting to win. That isn't the case anymore. As you know, I was there on, on Monday night, but the pilgrimage with my seven-year-old boy who loved the occasion, loved the atmosphere, hated the result, cried at full time, which made me feel like the worst dad in the world. Wasn't that but because it's Ralph... sitting next to you, though? Not to do with the football. <laughs> but it's Ralph Ranić who, who should be crying, really, because he was billed by the hipsters as this super coach. I'm yet to see it. I've watched the game from behind the goal and the scoreboard end. The amount of space that was afforded to Nelson Semedo down the walls right, the Manchester United left, was startling. Now, if I could realise that this 4-2-2-2 system uh, was not working against a Wolves team, we know play with wing-backs who love to flood forward. How could Ralph Ranić down on the touchline not make the same observation? The performance was was dreadful. Every time they got in and around the penalty area, it was like he told the United players not to shoot. Whether that is a directive for the manager or a lack of confidence or a combination of both, I don't know. But he's done really well here because he's managed to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was absolutely hapless at the end of his reign, and seemingly make United worse. The performance is stodgy at best. Lack of inspiration, players clearly unhappy, the body language of likes of Ronaldo again. I'm told there's a bit of a, a clique forming in the dressing room now with the Portuguese speakers and the non-Portuguese speakers. Somebody needs to get a hold of it here. And at the moment, Ralph Ranić isn't looking like the man to do that. 
Well, you know, let's not have any revisionism because it's always good to revisit what we said at the time that he was appointed. And I would like to say that on this podcast, it was pointed out, Darren, uh, that Ralph Ranick, for all of the, uh, the sort of hipsters noise that was trumpeting his appointment, actually, we said on this podcast, I remember uttering these words, have a little look at his CV, his coaching CV. And, and you know, he's done very well as, a, as an administrator and as an overlord at some of the smaller clubs where he's had overall control. But top-level coaching hasn't been his thing. And I've been speaking to a few, a few German coaches over the course of the last week, and I can reveal to you that actually all this godfather of Gagan pressing stuff is not all that it seems. In fact, one or two coaches in the not too uh, not, not too not not too far away from us right now uh, have suggested that uh, maybe the whole godfather of German football thing was overplayed just a little bit. Yeah, I think we're finding that right now, aren't we? Because when you're at big clubs, management is about managing big players and making sure that you can make it work and that your tactics impress them and your training sessions impress them. And you've got to marry all of that man management with the theories that he's so very good at espousing. And right now, the problem that he has is that Antonio Conte in a comparable space of time is getting more improvement from lesser players. So as far as uh, Rangnick is concerned, he's got a big problem. I think it's half and half because I think at United for a long, long time, they've gone the way of individual stars and they've trumpeted that they've really prioritized social media approval. They've gone, they've played to the gallery with a lot of the people that they've brought in. And as a result, they are a moments team, an individual team that they're always one player hitting one into the top corner away from digging themselves out of trouble. But the problem is that if you look at West Ham, you look at, even Arsenal now who are improving, certainly Tottenham clubs with inferior resources. They're doing better in the league, whereas United are there for the taking. I think United's players need to stop moaning. You need United's players need to get their act together. But the problem is that United can't, that won't happen because they don't trust Rangnick. It's interesting you should say about the, the moaning because I noticed on Wednesday night, you know, obviously after a big falling out at uh, Chelsea, Romelu Lukaku, every time someone tried to play him a ball that wasn't quite right, which happened two or three times, he turned around, he applauded them and he was like, thumbs up and everyone was happy. Now, a week ago, that would not have looked like that. But he knows that he's got to come across as this sort of ebullient character and give off a sort of vibe of, of trying to raise the positivity of the group. So he, he sees it as a responsibility now because of what's happened. Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, they need to do the same thing, right? Yeah, and you're right, actually. I, I noticed that when I think it was uh, across from the right-hand side. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have needed a stepladder to get on the end of it, but he still <laughs> applauded the efforts. It was a dreadful delivery. But there's a, there's a problem at United. There has been for some time now, and it goes from top to bottom. We're recording this podcast on the day that Ed Woodward's departure from United is finally confirmed, but it isn't really going to help change the direction of travel because he's going to be replaced by Richard Arnold, somebody already on the payroll a university pal uh, of Ed Woodward. I mean, there's comparisons here between the way that Manchester United are run uh, and the way that jobs are handed out by this uh, Conservative government. It, it isn't a great situation. They still need a director of football. I think Darren Fletcher needs to decide what he is. Is he a, is he a boardroom executive or is he a coach? Because he's been very active, um, noticeably, in the technical area uh, alongside Ralph Ranick. Who's running the jaunt? Nobody really knows. 
Yeah, and that is a key thing. I mean, you and I had a big discussion about recruitment, right? And Darren's sort of highlighted Manchester United's strategy, which is let's get as many clicks as possible. Let's put as many bums on seats. Let's sell as many shirts as possible by signing people who everybody goes, wow, aren't they great? And then they come in and actually they can't do what you need them to do because actually a football team works as a team and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a machine that needs certain parts moving in certain directions, not necessarily just the most famous people that you can get your hands on. And we went through Chelsea signings. We went through Manchester United signings. Yeah. Yeah. If you were being quite sort of ruthless about it, you'd look at both those clubs and say, well, how many, how many good pieces of recruitment have they done for the money that they've spent? You know, you go back through the annals of, of, of time. And yeah, Chelsea's spending has been absolutely ludicrous. I mean, the idea that they've got value for money out of some of those signings, £72 million on Kepa, £58 million on Jorginho, it's taken them three years to get to the point where actually they know how to use him properly. I mean, it's it, it, some, of the, some of the lavish spending by these big clubs is, is, is very, very poor and no one seems to pay the price from it. It's always the manager who, who ends up getting canned. But actually... You know, you've got to look a little bit further afield than that because the resources that Ranić's got to work with are very poor. That, that's you know, there, there isn't one player in that Manchester United team right now that Liverpool or Manchester City are going to poach. See, I I, I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you say. I just think the overarching thing is if you get the right man in, nobody asks some of the questions that we've thrown up right here. But nobody asks about the recruitment, as you say. But they can't that. recruit players, so how can they recruit managers? Well, this is the thing. And, and the, everyone was sucked into the utter lunacy that Conti was not a good fit for the football club. Mm. But over and above everything that they've brought into Manchester United, the club has needed leadership and discipline for a long time because the hierarchy at United, they indulge the big name players they bring in because there is a dollar value attached to them. And the problem is, the, the result is what we have now. Players unimpressed with training, players unimpressed with Rangnick, players having to Google Rang- who the, Who the hell cares? Just do your job and play. But the problem is that because United time and again have thrown managers overboard in favour of a group of players who I actually think are good players, but I think they are lazy. I think they are players who don't want to work as hard as the players at West Ham, the players at Tottenham, the players even now, we've criticised Arsenal on here, but the Arsenal players now are putting in a shift because they know the club backs the manager. And at clubs where the manager has control, like City, like Liverpool, the players know they do the work or they're out. You know what? I actually think part of the problem at United is not necessarily the 11 players that take the pitch every game. It's, it's the players in the dressing room that don't want to be there anymore. 17 players could leave Old Trafford in the summer. People like Jesse Lingard. What are you still doing there? You know, you ended the season in fantastic form at West Ham. You had the opportunity to leave in a World Cup year, go and play some football. And he loves what? Manchester United. He wants He's to be at a- Manchester United. That's no, what he doesn't. He, he, he does. He, he, he likes the celebrity That's- of being a Manchester United player. That's he likes why he didn't pay. want to leave in the summer. He didn't He's want to leave 11- in the because he thought there was a chance he might get in the team. He's played 11 Premier League minutes under Ralph Ranić. As I understand it, West Ham are sniffing around him again. Go. Go and live your career. Don't live the celebrity lifestyle. But... You know, when those 17 players go in the summer and you wouldn't make a case for keeping too many of them, it is a chance for someone, Pochettino, to come in with a clean broom and sweep out the Deadwood and actually try and get this club back to where it belongs. But they need a director of football. They don't need Richard Arnold replacing his mate. No, I I was just going to add something onto what you were saying. I remember when uh, 
uh, George Graham went to Spurs and he closed the, tr- the, the treatment room because there were so many players who, in, you know, who were injured and, you know, the, the, the treatment room is like a social club and he closed it. He made it uncomfortable for players. You're either available or you're not. You're either part of this and you want to be part of this or you don't. And the bottom line is it, there is a comfort zone at Manchester United that so many players, too many players are happy to be in. And that's why they stay, even though they have zero chance of playing instead of going somewhere else where they're actually going to be exposed. They're actually going to have to do some work. That you said, know, Phil Jones up. has come up with the best redemption story of the season so far, probably being the best player in the team on uh, Monday night against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, but, you know, we, you had this discussion privately. What would you do in this situation? Me, personally, technical director, new up-and-coming manager, not someone who's going to be there for 100 years, but someone's going to be there for the next two years to coach the best out of these players. You need a left fullback, you need a right fullback because fullbacks in the modern game are so very important. And Manchester United do not have good enough fullbacks. You can point to Luke Shaw. For me, to be honest with you, I still don't think he looks fit enough. Every time I look at him, I think to myself, I'm not necessarily sure you're at the peak of your powers here. And that is unacceptable for a professional footballer. So left, right back needed. They need a midfield player. They've been linked with Neves again today. You know, they probably need another out and out forward because at the moment they're two forwards and and between them, 72. So they, they probably need to get someone involved in that. And actually it's not too bad if you do end up getting rid of one or two of the local stars, some that have come through the ranks. Maybe they have to make a point of that, actually. Taking you know, a Rashford or Greenwood and saying, you know what, we're going to sell you for a certain amount of money and reinvest it. Because to be honest with you, at the moment, it does look a little bit like, it's a little bit like a social club. It's kindergarten. There's no discipline. There's no discipline at the club from top to bottom. And that, and that listen, the Rots sitting there with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he was too nice to the players. It was too happy an environment. They need a hard line coach, someone like Conte, Tuchel. And listen, Pochettino's got a bit of ruthlessness as well. You know my admiration for him. If he comes in in the summer, things will change. You're going you know, to be in massive I, I trouble, just, by the way, if it backfires and he's rubbish. Because <laughs> you've just been trumpeting him for ages. Just one final point for me. And I think Conti at Spurs, we've seen in the short time he's been there, similar time to Rangnick, that he has said, I've completed my evaluation of the players. I know who I want to keep. I know who I want to sell. And that's what good managers do. They keep the players that are going to be on board. I covered Pochettino's first spell at Spurs, uh, his spell at Spurs with, with Jesus. And again, he did a very similar thing. This is the core group I want to keep. We like to work with young players. We like to work with hungry players. We have desire. The rest, they can go. And I think that's what's needed at United. But like I said, because there are so many players with a dollar value attached to them, they want to recoup their money. They want to be this club of Galacticos instead of a team. They're not a team. And that's why they are there for the taking. And I think Villa could go there and get a result if they're bold, front foot, and they take them on. Okay, that's it from us. Uh, We'll be back on Monday to look back at some cracking stories and preview some extra Premier League games. Thank you very much to Darren Lewis, to Alex Griggin, to Phil. Uh, Phil, thank you very much uh, for joining us and giving us all the FA Cup uh, stats. Just want to plug your Twitter handle so people can find your your products. Uh, yeah, thanks, Sam. You enjoyed uh, being with you guys today. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, FA Cup Fat Farm. And from there, you can get access to my website, facupfatfarm.co.uk forward slash shop, where you can get hold of my fantastic FA Cup 150 book. And I'm paying your postage during January. So get it now. 
Look at that. Paying posters during January. Thank you very much to Phil. Uh, keep listening to TalkSport over the weekend for all the Premier League uh, news and the FA Cup action. The magic of the FA Cup with nine live commentaries. And thank you very much for downloading the Game Day podcast. We'll be back on Monday afternoon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.